Amen. You may be seated. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 130, it's really so much of the song we just sang is in Psalm 130. As we begin a new sermon series called Summertime Songs, uh, we're going to be looking at some psalms in the next several weeks uh, through the summer months that will give us reason to sing, to sing to our great God and all that He has done for us. So I want to begin with a question for you. Everyone has a favorite place on earth. Everyone has a place on earth that you feel more alive there than maybe anywhere else as you get there or go there. Uh, maybe it's a beach or maybe it's a mountain or some kind of experience. But let me ask you, what is your favorite place on all of That place that you just kind of come alive Maybe more than others. Maybe it's a, a favorite vacation spot, a spot that you love to go and, and just kind of be refreshed and reminded of God's goodness and mercy. And I guarantee you that if we're together in a conversation and I ask you that question, where is your favorite vacation spot or your favorite place on earth? You started telling me about yours. I, I'd probably be thinking more about mine. I probably would not care as much about yours as mine because I'm just going to be kind of nice and listen to yours like, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. But wait till you get to mine because I want to tell you what really is the greatest place ever. But uh, I'm probably convinced that I can't convince you, you can't convince me. I mean, it's probably something powerful about nostalgic, uh, about some place we look back at and, and just have such fine memories, those areas that have greatly impacted us. Kay and I have discovered and fallen in love with a spot that really has become one of our favorites. It's, it's just the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's a, it's a road through the mountains of North Carolina. Have you, have you been to the Blue Ridge Parkway? Is it not just absolutely amazing? And where we have a, the family has a, a cabin that we could go to. It's kind of in between Waynesville and Silva. But what's really awesome is when you go down the mountain, you can just get right on the, the, the turnpike and uh, the, the parkway, I say, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and it's absolutely amazing. And as you drive along the parkway, you probably notice that nearly every mile or so that there is a little overlook, an overlook where you can stop and, and see the beauty of God's creation. And some of the overlooks have picnic tables. You can look and say, hey, there's some that have some picnic tables and some have exhibits, they say. And there might be an exhibit, it might be a little walkway where you go out a little further. or It might be the spot that says this is the highest point on the parkway. Uh, different perspectives of different things. Some even have trails. And what Katie and I love to do is we love to find those trails. Pull into a little overlook, jump on a trail, go hiking, come back, have lunch. It's absolutely amazing. But I want to tell you, I was just there yesterday. I want to, I want to show you a couple of pictures, actually, of the beauty. That's, that's what I saw yesterday. You ready for this? And you're going to hate me. It was 59 degrees. Oh! <laughs> It was 59 degrees, and we pull into this overlook, and there it was. We're so high, and we could see that, that down below us were some clouds, and, and right behind us was a little bit more of a mountain, and, and clouds literally like coming over the mountains, kind of those misty little clouds that you can just kind of reach out and grab, and everywhere you look to the left and your right, I mean, I almost became charismatic. I mean, I'm telling you, I started to dance. I couldn't help it. I, I just started to sing. I was like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I mean, I'm sure I'm singing off tune. I'm sure I had no rhythm. But I could not help but sing. 
Because God's glory, because God's creation, God's beauty, and it was 59 degrees, was so amazing that I just had to sing his praises. And it's amazing about these overlooks is that although they're like a mile apart, you go to a next one and all of a sudden you see something different. There's a different venue. You go to the next one across the way and you're like, oh, I didn't see the valley or the way the sun is shining on that. Or, or look at that peak over there. And it's really bad when Katie and I do this because I'm usually driving and I, I'm the kind of guy that loves to share everything I've experienced. Oh, did you see that? And she won't look unless I'm looking at the road. I can't look at it unless you're looking at the road. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm looking at the road. It's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, each overview, you kind of go and you see something different. Well, this morning as we begin a series through the Psalms, summertime songs, it's like going into a different overlook. We're going to we're start with Psalm 130, and we're going to look at about seven of them. We're going to go toward 150. We're not going to cover all 20. But every one we go into, listen, it's like going into one of those overlooks. It's like we're driving along, and we're going to pull into Psalm 130, and we're going to look at it, and we're going to say, oh, my goodness, God, I'm seeing the beauty of this vista. It's so absolutely amazing. We're seeing the beauty of your character, this glorious mountain of God's grace and mercy. We're going to see some of God's wonderful attributes. And here's what I hope to do each week, is try to boil them down. Try to get them to one. And just to say, if there's one thing that we could look at in this psalm that makes us sing, what is it? And this morning I want to begin with Psalm 130 because what makes us sing is that God forgives us. There is a God who forgives. There is a God who is merciful. And I'm telling you, no matter how many times you see that mountain, no matter how many times you see that vista, no matter how many times you see the reality of a God who is merciful and a God who forgives, if you see it rightly and you see yourself rightly, you can't help but Sing. Sing to the reality of a God who is so merciful, a God who is so good to us. We're going to look at three things this morning as we unpack Psalm 130. We're going to see the grace of God that helps us cry for mercy. We're going to see the grace to be to forgive all of our iniquities. God doesn't forgive just some. He forgives them all. And our response, what is the right response to our God who forgives us? And so we're going to pull into the vista. We're going to pull into this little overlook of God's word. Join me as we pull into Psalm 130 right now, into God's holy, inerrant word. It's a song of ascent, which means this was probably sung by God's people in Israel as they were making their trek uh, up to the temple. Uh, they would be singing this reality uh, singing reminded them, them of the reality of how good God is. Let's be mindful this is God's holy and errant word. It'll never lead us astray. Hear this word of the Lord as we pull into this overlook, into God's word. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. 
O Israel, O church, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for this incredible overlook, this vista, this look into your word in Psalm 130, that God reminds us of the reality that our God is merciful, and with you is a God who forgives our sins. With you is a God who does not mark and count our iniquities. Oh God, this is such good news. And God, this is news that everyone needs to hear. And God, those who never have understood what this means before, maybe those who are hearing it for the very first time, young or old, or for those of us who have pulled into this overlook before and who have seen this vista of before and have heard before that you are a God who forgives sins. Oh God, give us the eyes to see the beauty and the reality of this. Give us the ears to hear your voice, God. Give us the mind to understand your word and how it applies to us. Oh God, give us the hearts that will embrace your truth. And God, for your glory and for the good of our neighbor, would you give us feet that would walk in response and obedience to your name, to the reality that we are forgiven and free. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel... God, the good news that Martin Luther would say this is his favorite psalm because the gospel is so clear. That Paul would reference this and just see so clearly the Pauline theology of redemption and forgiveness. Oh God, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see is the grace of God to cry out for mercy. Because before forgiveness, there's a cry, there's an ask, there's a repentance, there's a turning from that reality. And we're going to see this cry for mercy in verses 1 and 2. And there's two things that we got to see in God's grace. If you see this verse correctly, if you are on this overlook of Psalm 130 and you understand what God is saying, two things will happen. If God gives you the grace, you'll see yourself rightly. And you'll see, have the grace of God to see God rightly. But we've got to begin with the reality that the world doesn't see this rightly. Interesting what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says, the God of this age has blinded unbelievers so they can't see the truth. They can't see the truth of, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The world doesn't see the reality of who they are in God's sight and who truly God is. But by God's grace, He's come to us through His Spirit, God's grace to see ourselves correctly. And we need to begin with some humbling news. We need to begin with the truth. And maybe what some would say, bad news. But all of us, we're all sinners. We're all sinners in need of mercy. And it began from the beginning of our life. It's interesting in Psalm 51, an incredible psalm where David is going to repent uh, he's going to ask God to create him in a clean heart. He's going to confess his sin. 
David will say in Psalm 51 that his problem with sin began at conception at birth. Let me ask a question. A question I love to ask. Here it is. Are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we're sinners? Let me ask it again. Are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we're sinners? Anybody have the answer? I can't hear you. Your math is covering Which one is it? We sin because we're sinners. Because God's Word will say that we, by birth, we have been conceived in iniquity. That we have this, this depravity and brokenness has been passed on since it entered the story in Adam and Eve. Every single one of us has been bitten by the reality that we have been broken. Uh, we are depraved. That brokenness and depravity has been passed down to us. And we are, by nature, nasty. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we want to think that in and of ourselves we're good. But according to God's word, according to God's standard, there's none of us. Not one. Zippo. Zero. Not, not only... Are we born in sin? But you ready for this? Scripture will say, apart from Christ, we're dead in sin. Wow. Ephesians 2.1 will say that we are, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. That sin has affected every part of our life and has brought complete death to any hope that on our own that we could be righteous. That's incredible to think. How are you? Well, apart from Christ, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. What, is, what does that mean? It means that it's so bad, it's so broken, and it starts that way from birth, that for us to be made right, we've got to be made new. For us to be made right, God doesn't want to just clean you up a little bit. Uh, God doesn't want to just take out some of the bad stuff. God is going to give us, by His grace, a completely new start, a new nature, a new being. That's why Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, for anyone who is in Christ Jesus, who's placed their faith and trust in Christ, he is a new creation. He's made new. That's what John would be told by Jesus in John 3. That if anyone really wants to come to the Father, he must be born again. He must be made new. So listen, we've we, we got to see the grace of God in crying for mercy. Because it's the recognition that, that the, the psalmist, sees himself rightly. Man, he's a sinner. And the sin is not just a little problem, it's a huge problem. Well, maybe it helps us to say, well, what, what is sin? Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, a theological standard that I've loved and embraced for several years, and, and the shorter catechism will ask the question, what is sin? It gives a very theological answer, and I'm going to give it to you. Sin is any want or transgression of the law of God. And everybody probably said, man, that set me free. What? Well, here's what it means. Sin is any want or transgression of God's law. Now, we don't use the word want the way they did back then. This word want is not like I want a piece of cake for lunch and breakfast and dinner. This is want like there's a lack. So what is sin? Sin is the lack of conforming to what God asked you to do or the transgression of what God told you not to do. We could see sin in two ways. 
There's the sin. This is a, it's a great distinction that theologians would use. There's the sin of omission and there's a sin of commission. Okay? The sin of omission is, not, is omitting to do what God has asked you to do. Now let's boil God's law down all 613 of them, all the world. What does God say the whole thing of the Bible is hinged on? It's all hinged on, really, one commandment with two parts. You know it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You sin against holy God, and I sin against holy God, when we don't Love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And when we don't love our neighbors as ourselves, does anyone want to stand and say, I've completed that? Because I can't tell you that I've done it for a nanosecond. I love God, but do I love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I'm trying to love my neighbor. Do I really care about my neighbor's lawn as much as mine? No, I don't. His retirement as much as mine. His kids as much as mine. Especially his grandkids. Forget that. So I'm omitting to do what God has called us to do. And that's the big one. And we think of commission, uh, commission. Those are, you know, the sins like stealing, cheating, lying, hating, and dating anyone who does, right? But we break all of those. Uh, all of God's law. So what is sin? We've got to come to the reality. But by nature, apart from Christ, we are, in God's sight, sinners. We deserve wrath, not mercy. A sinner shouldn't ask for God's justice. Should be begging for God's mercy. You know, I want to hit a little side note. Um, I I love doing weddings because weddings give me the opportunity to produce, produce, uh, proclaim the gospel. It's so clear because you know the Bible begins with a wedding and ends with a wedding feast. And when he talks about a bride, he calls us, or he talks about the church, he calls us his bride. So you guys know that when I did, I, I could see Abby and Cody. I, I did their wedding this year, and you know I get all excited because I'm going to make your ceremony something bigger to tell about God's love story. I mean, that's because that's what it really is. And one of the things when I know they're believers, I'm always going to ask something. I don't do it for everyone, but I always ask this confession saying, hey, I say this, for you to have a right relationship in marriage, you must first have a right relationship with God. So let me ask you what I know to be true. I'd only ask those who I know are Christians, I'll say, do you guys acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in God's sight? And have you embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you? And when they say, yeah, we have, I can just say, God, thanks for the blessing of, of loving them. And I recently did a, a beautiful wedding with two beautiful people who really love the Lord, and they're, they're amazing. It was one of the most glorious services I did. But they didn't like the language that I used of, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner? Because what they really want to say, well, listen, I'm not a sinner. I- I'm a child of God. That's the way God sees me. I want to say, yes, that's true. It's true that God does see us as beloved children in Christ Jesus. It's true that we're forgiven and free, but we will never, until we see him face to face, not be sinners. We're redeemed sinners in Christ. We're loved sinners, but that's who we are. Every one of us. So you're sitting here. We all have the same plight. This COVID-19, some get it, some don't. But sin, everybody has it. And the, and, the, and the consequences thereof. To see ourselves rightly. But then the grace of God to see God correctly. To see God correctly is realize it's our sin affects him. It is God who we have sinned against. 
Uh, Psalm 54, 51.4 uh, says this. Against you, David writes this. Remember, this is a psalm where David is, is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba, bad, big sin, adultery, led to murder. I mean, holy cow, it's really bad. And then here's what David will say to God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait, 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 time out. David, how could you say against God and God alone you sinned? Bro, you sinned against Bathsheba. She was a subject of your kingdom, man. I mean, you walked on your roof and in this lustful haze, you wanted her. When you asked about her, they said, listen, that's Uriah the Hittite's wife. That's so-and-so's daughter. They didn't give you her name. They said, basically, not yours, David, not yours, not yours. But David says, I want her, bring her to me. And so when he gets what he wants because he's king, he sinned against Bathsheba. And when he finds out that, that that produced a child, he he brings in Uriah from the battlefield and tries to get him all drunk and send him back home so he can sleep with his wife, so he's off the hook that this child isn't his. But Uriah is a drunk, is more noble than David, the king who supposedly has a, a heart after God. So what does David do? He He writes his death sentence and sends it and tells Uriah, take this back. Carry your own death sentence. Give it to Joab uh, and, and make sure that he puts you up front. So he'll be killed. So David sinned against Bathsheba. He had Uriah killed. He sinned against God's people. He is the king of God's people. He is, he is the one that God has raised up. And he's sinning by setting an example for all of them. Yet David will say against you and you alone have I sinned. Well, how could he do that? Well, his sin had ramifications, but you've got to realize when it comes to sin, ultimately it's God's holy character that we offend. He's a holy God. It's God's holy law that we have broken. It's against God's reality that, that, that he is really true that we've ignored. It's against God's kingdom that we have rebelled. So we have to realize who God is. He is the one that we've offended. He's the one we've got to do business with. Certainly, there are some relationships vertically, but ultimately, God is the one. So, in the reality yet, he says, yet is according to God's steadfast love. This is in Psalm 51 as well. Yet according to God's steadfast love and his abounding mercy, we cry for forgiveness. The one we offended, thank God, is the one who has abundant mercy. He's the one we cry to. In Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, and blot out my transgressions. I don't know if you heard what he just said. He doesn't say, God, forgive me, because I'm a heck of a good guy. He doesn't say, God, forgive me, because I'm going to do better next time. He doesn't say, God, forgive me because here are the things I've done for you or the things I've given for you. He doesn't look at himself at all. He says, God, forgive me. Why? Because of you. Because of your steadfast love never fails. Because you and you alone have abundant mercy. Forgive me because of your character and the work of your son. God gives us the grace to see ourselves in God rightly. And the grace to forgive our iniquities. 
Did you hear a verse that should change your life? Right after that, it says this, but, there's this, there's this word but in Psalm 130 that makes this hinge, this shift, that's crying out for mercy, that's, that's saying, God, I'm, I'm repenting to you. And then you have this incredible word that just thunders with grace and mercy, but with God there is forgiveness. Did you hear it? Oh, what a glorious verse. What a glorious truth. But with God there is forgiveness. Now listen, that is in the present tense. There is right now forgiveness. It doesn't say conditionally. It doesn't say if your sins weren't too big or too bad or if you haven't habitually caused the same sin over and over and over and over again. It thunders against your sin. It says, but with God there is forgiveness. And there's something even more beautiful. The word is isn't even in the Hebrew. Here's what it says. But with God, forgiveness. It's just equating it. God, forgiveness. God, forgiveness. But with our God, there is forgiveness. Let that ring in your ears and in your soul. Let it permeate every fiber of your being. But with God, there is forgiveness. Who of us doesn't need to hear that this morning? They'll be reminded of that great truth. But what we need to see is the grace of God even deeper. And the reality is this. Watch this. It takes all of God. It takes all of God to forgive all of us. Not just part of them. With God, there is forgiveness. It would say in 2 Corinthians 5.19, In Christ, God doesn't count our sins against us. Hear this passage. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's what's so important. Only in Christ Jesus are our sins not counted against us. If you're not in Christ, God is, does, will count your sins against you. And the greatest sin not believing. It's not being in Christ. It takes all of God to forgive all of us. I want to, I want to, there's three things with this I'm going to unpack. One is God the Father who initiates our forgiveness. That's the desire. God the Son who executes our forgiveness. That's the means. God the Holy Spirit who applies our forgiveness. That's the application. Let's begin with the Father. It always begins with the Father. He's always the initiator. God the Father who initiates our forgiveness. He has the desire. How do we know it? So many verses. Let's take the most famous one. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That God demonstrates His own love for us that while we're still sinners, Romans 5.8, He sent Christ Jesus. It begins with the Father's love for sinners like us. And one of the greatest mysteries I cannot wrap my brain around is how can holy God, just God, love sinners like us the way He does? But He does. He does. He loves us. 
He loves us enough to send His Son for us. But it's not just the Father's desire. That's a good thing. We have to have one who executes our forgiveness. One who really separates our sins as far as the east from the west. One who pays the price for our sins. One who could cover them up. And that's that's Jesus. God the Son executes our forgiveness. He is the means. The Son came to seek and to save and to give His life a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 You see, it's through this. Through Jesus' righteous, perfect life, through Jesus' sacrifice, His atoning death, through Jesus' powerful resurrection, there is forgiveness. Let me hit pause. I mean, I know you heard that. But let me just tell you something. We live in a time where people want to flippantly say, will you forgive me? As if it costs nothing. Can you just forgive me? But listen, holy just God, He, he can't just flippantly deal with sin. He can't say what we say all the time. It's no big deal. Because Scripture says this, the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. So how can God be just? And how can He be holy? And how can God be merciful? And how can God be gracious? Well, He has the desire to forgive us. And the only way He can forgive us is if His justice and His his holiness isn't offended by His mercy and grace. Now you have this tension, right? How can God be just and holy and merciful and gracious? Jesus. Because there is one who lived the perfect life. God's law was fulfilled perfectly. We owe the demands of the law nothing. It's Jesus. God had to pour out His wrath on sin. And He did on His own Son on the cross. He would say it's finished. For His people, God's wrath was, get this, fully absorbed. Fully absorbed. Fully. Unbelievably. Unbelievably. You cannot do anything that will cause God's wrath to rest upon you. It can't. He's not a God of double jeopardy. His Son hung on the cross for it. He's the means. He's the righteous life. He's the atoning death. And did it work? It's the powerful resurrection. Yes, it did. The Father accepted it. He removed that offering. It's incredible. And so Jesus is the means. The Father initiates. The Son executes. And watch this. Don't leave the Holy Spirit out. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, applies. It's the application. It's what Titus 3.5 says. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Remember I said that we all have a problem. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And the only way you're made alive is by great God's grace and mercy in Christ. Guess who does that? It's the Holy Spirit that moves into our lives. It's the Holy Spirit when we open up our ears to hear the Gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us new, that gives us a new nature, that allows us to embrace the good news of the Gospel. It took all of God to to, to save all of us, all to His glory. Wow. That's why we worship. So what's the response to our God who forgives us? You know, I, I used to make fun of country music. Not only did I make fun of country music, I made fun of those people who listen to country music. And guess what happened? I became one of those people. 
I like it. My name's Jeff, and I like country music. <laughs> some better than others. Man, there's some really good stuff. Literally, I saw that Zach Brown is playing in Idaho in a couple of weeks, and I almost bought a ticket. I was like, man, I want to go to Idaho. I want to hear Zach Brown. That guy can play. He's good. But you guys know Tim McGraw's song. It's a famous, Live Like You Were Dying, right? And what a great song. I mean, you ride a, a, a bull named Fu Manchu or something like that. You know, you do these crazy things because why? Because if you know you're dying, you might start living, right? And so what's holding you back? And let's start, start living like you're dying. But you know, for the Christian, the message is, listen, start living like you're dying. Here's the message. Because Jesus died, because you are forgiven, start living like you're forgiven. Start living like you're forgiven. I mean, quit moping around. Quit hanging your head down. Quit saying, oh, woe is me. Are you a sinner? Yes. You're worse than you think you are. Are you a mess? Yes. Have you screwed up? Absolutely. Are you going to probably do it again soon? Yep, you are. You're a wreck. You're a mess. You're loved and you're forgiven and you're free. Start living like you're forgiven. Because in Christ, you are. In Christ, you're free. You're loved. Live like you're forgiven, gratefully. We should, our lives are through God's grace. Quit complaining. God loves you, man. He set you free. He separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's guaranteed a deposit. There's more good stuff to come. Live thankfully. I don't have enough to be thankful for. Are you kidding me? He's given you Christ. He's made you a son. He's made you a joint heir. Everything that Jesus has earned as the only obedient son, everything that Jesus deserves as the only begotten son, he's given you and me. Let's be grateful. Let's live like we're forgiven. Let's live vibrant. Let's live free. You know what the enemy wants to tell you? You're not good enough. The enemy wants to remind you, Here, here's your sin. Man. When are you going to quit messing up? The enemy wants you... He, he doesn't want you to live like you're free. But you know what the world needs to see? <laughs> Sinners saved by God's grace. That's what he needs to receive. The response to our God who forgives us, fear the Lord. It's interesting. It says fear him. It's, it's, it's an interesting word. God doesn't want you to be trembling in the corner because of him. This word fear through scripture means this. It means loving reverence. Loving reverence for your God. Worship Him. Wait for the Lord. It says, I'm going to wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. Wait for the Lord. You know what that means? Trust. In the midst of your broken life, in the midst of your life undone, in the midst of the, the chapters that you never would have written, in the midst of the things that, that stink, that hurt, that you weep about in the middle of the night, wait for the Lord. He's not done. His promises aren't going to fail. What he starts, he finishes. Wait for him. doesn't say get up and start doing it yourself. Wait for him. Hope in the Lord. I love this. Have a living hope. Don't hope in yourself, for goodness sakes. Please don't do that. Don't hope that you might get better. <laughs> you probably will in God's grace. We're all going to get there. But our hope is never in us. Our hope is always in him. Hope in the Lord's grace. 
Live like you are forgiven and free. All right, here we go. You ready for this close? You know who we are in Christ Jesus? On life's highway, on life's Blue Ridge Parkway, you ready for this? Christians, we're supposed to be the overlook. We're supposed to be those places that the world drives by and pulls in and sees God's grace. And it sees sinners that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And it sees those who are dancing even though they're broken, singing even though it hurts, living even though their body is wasting away. And let the world come and see a vista that they can't believe of God's grace. They can't believe of God's mercy. Because He's made us an overlook. An overlook of grace. An overlook of the gospel. For the world to come and to see and to join the chorus. And sing to the God who has forgiven me. Are you forgiven? Start singing. Start living. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, this incredible psalm gives us such rich grace. It starts in the depths, literally it says in the depths of crying out mercy. And it ends in the heights. The heights of knowing that there is a God who forgives. And now a God who has steadfast love and heals and forgives all of our iniquities. God, I pray for your grace to be the one who's maybe listening online or here that has never really understood the depth of their sin and against you and you alone have they sinned, holy God. They never understood the depths of the gospel of what Jesus really had to do to bridge the gap between holy God and sinful mankind. But what he obediently and willingly did and what he accomplished and the chasm that he has bridged that we now can be forgiven and free. Oh God, may we not live like we are dying. May we live like we are forgiven. And may the world come and see Jesus through a bunch of broken knuckleheads like us who are loved by a God who will never stop loving us. Never stop working on us. And one day will present us glorious in His presence. God, for those of us who have grown numb to this message, may Your Spirit just remind us of the good news of sinners set free. God, may this song never become an old, broken song that we don't want to hear. May this be the song that when we wake up tomorrow and when the enemy accuses us of all that we're not and when the mirror screams of us of all that we have done, may the gospel reign over us so that we can live in freedom for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.